these are large language learning models. They learn from what's there out there already. And uh, that creative labor has not been uh, credited. Um, but also where the new creativity comes from um, is, uh, is a, 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 an area for investment. And, you know, it comes down often um, to rather, that um, seem rather um, uh, annoying in a way, issues about legal questions about intellectual property ownership and copyright and these have always been the issue i mean you know we all know uh, you know every band as uh, you know well-known band has split up because of so-called artistic differences no it's about actually de de dividing who got the uh, the the copyright who got the money uh, basically um so issues about the ownership, what it is that you can own about the arts, etc., um, and, and cultural product, and whether that is actually given to the creator or the creatives are able to um, gain a living uh, from that is a key thing. And I think what we're seeing is um, uh, with every new technology, but particularly um, from AI, we're seeing yet another um, uh, cycle whereby the larger industries try to scoop up all the existing copyright and uh, basically uh, um, uh, individual artists uh, unable to uh, um, gain a living from, from their own activities. Hello and welcome to the How Might We Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scally, as always. Now, on today's episode, I have Andy Pratt. Andy is UNESCO Chair of Global Creative Economy, Director of the Center of Culture and the Creative Industries, and Professor of Cultural Economy at City University of London. He previously established the first Department of, of Culture and Creative Industries in the world, at King's College London. And alongside that, he's previously taught at London School of Economics, University College London, and has held visiting professor positions at many global institutions in Singapore and Zurich. And he specializes in the analysis of the cultural industries globally. Uh, this research has three strands. The first focusing on the social and economic dynamics of clustering and knowledge exchange. The second strand concerns the definition and measurement of employment in the culture and creative industries. And the third concerns cultural governance and policymaking at the national, regional, and urban scales. His current research concerns translocal cultural production chains and is funded by the European Union Horizon 2020 program. He's previously explored projects on urban creative economy, clustering, knowledge transfer, innovation, and creativity. And until 2023, he was editor-in-chief of the International Interdisciplinary Journal, City, Culture and Society. Now, Andy, I mentioned that uh, when I told people you were coming on the pod, they said to give you a, a high five, a virtual high five for all the referencing they did in their dissertations of your work. So um, it's amazing <laughs> to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks for coming on. Great. Great to be here. That's really nice to talk to you. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Um, I, you know, you've had a real uh, deep, meaningful career and uh, an intellectual uh, passion and focus for the creative industries. For, for anyone who hasn't uh, come across your work, what's the um, what's your sort of motive power for for your career focusing on the creative economy and trying to understand it in a in a deeper way? 
I guess uh, it was uh, frustration that uh, people just didn't get it. Uh, everyone, um, I guess, thought of a lot of the uh, area of uh, culture, the creative industries, whether it's, uh, you know, sort of uh, um, the traditional sort of high culture or low culture. Um, didn't quite engage with it as uh, something that a created jobs and also was involved in uh, people's lives, uh, making the world go round, and also associated with making cities lively and uh, active. And um, somehow this was always seemed to be considered by politicians and also other academics as well as sort of not stuff that you would properly uh, study or look at. And um, uh, well, I felt I wanted to beg to differ. <laughs> Basically, could see a lot of my friends and uh, colleagues were working in this area but actually weren't really getting the uh, um, recognition and credit uh, for for it in the sense they were sort of invisible um, but everyone was doing this great work um, but uh, no one was really paying great attention to it um, and uh, I guess what I've been trying to do is to shine a light on these things and uh, um, help us to understand the difficult jobs that people do um, and uh, how complex uh, many of the relationships that are involved in um, and um, what a great um, product that everyone is producing basically mm -hmm. um, but frustration really frustration that people were it weren't interested in this area um, both as a policy level academic level etc that's changed a lot um, in the past sort of uh, 10 years or so um, but uh, certainly the initial um, perspective was uh, um, really uh, um, really trying to bring uh, attention to this area that uh, people had overlooked or didn't consider important. Interesting. And, and do you think perhaps a chicken and the egg situation uh, over that time horizon as, say, regard for uh, the creative economy has grown and uh, data to explicate the growth has, has been well charted and, and, and your research has very much sat alongside that? Like, how do you do you see that the, the way the research has helped policymakers, as you say, uh, industry support institutions to understand it in a deeper way as 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 fueled that growth in a in a correlation that you can understand? Or how do you sort of see those two running in tandem, your research work and the seemingly exponential growth of the creative economy, certainly here in, yeah. in the United Kingdom? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, it's the, the, the growth of the creative economy um, sort of wouldn't be um, knowable unless you had some way of um, either measuring it or understanding what it is. And I guess that's where I started uh, uh, the work in a way, which was uh, um, actually being involved in issues associated with the definition of the culture and creative industries and literally, um, you know, how you count the number of people that are employed in it or all the sorts of things that, uh, that people do. Um, and uh, those producing those figures then become a tool that uh, politicians and policymakers can make to um, convince others that actually this is a real thing. Um, it involves real jobs, there are real people involved, um, etc. And uh, and it earns money uh, for, for some people as well. And so, um, I mean, 
It has to be said that I mean, sort of, I'm an unusual academic in a way that uh, I don't just do sort of academic stuff and the uh, teaching and research and just communicating amongst academics. I've always wanted to get involved in uh, actually the real world, um, and but both policymakers and also practitioners on the ground. So actually, a lot of what I uh, did certainly at the beginning of my career was to actually try to um, sort of work with uh, practitioners people that were doing stuff, try to under a, understand what they were doing um, and then reflect on it, um, but also actually uh, how you would understand what it is and how you understand how people are making money or getting jobs or getting involved uh, in, in this area. And so, um, you know, I was in, involved in uh, helping the uh, DCMS uh, set up uh, the mapping documents that they did and counted you know, counting uh, people in employment there. But also um, later on, I got involved with the UN and UNESCO and doing this globally uh, as well. So, so actually, um, you know, although there are lots of problems with just reducing things to numbers, and, and certainly I wouldn't go in that direction totally, <laughs> um, unless you have some numbers, then uh, it's difficult to uh, um, break into this sort of uh, um, political and policy debate, which in, in a sense, the terms of trade are, are these numbers. Um, so uh, whilst caveat emptor with the numbers, um, they're really important because uh, once people see how big they are, I mean, for example, you know, that, that, that you know, uh, uh, something that I would uh, sort of toss out there in a way is that if you look at the um, either in the UK or actually across Europe as a whole, the size of the creative sector, it's larger than the car industry. And think of all the all the political power and industry um, sort of pressure that the car industry gets. So why doesn't culture get that? You know, <laughs> well, culture and creative economy are always seen as uh, um, the the thing that politicians forget or that they're not really proper jobs. But there are more jobs, and it's creating more money um, than uh, you know the so-called proper economy. And uh, so that's uh, that's sort of part of that. Uh, the first point in a way is actually you know, can we get culture and creative uh, economy to the table so that we can actually have a discussion about this um, and then um, let's look at some of the nuances and some of the debates within that but actually uh, in a sense um, people would just uh, shut them out and, and that's not just analytically it's also actually that's one of the big things that uh, um you know parents say to their kids you know don't get a job in the creative industries you know <laughs> uh, um either um it won't be a permanent job or you won't get paid and and which of course is undermining of building this area of activity um and so that's i guess one of the the sort of second areas that I've looked at. So one, you, you know, create some visibility through creating some way of counting it and calibrating it and understanding it so that you can compare it with other things. The second is try to understand how this complex beast works. And anyone who has any familiarity with uh, the uh, culture and creative sector know that uh, it's not like working in a factory. <laughs> it's very complex in terms of all the networks and groups and uh, um, uh, projects that people are involved in. And uh, well, we could talk a bit more about that. But I mean, that, that's, it, that's another thing, is that uh, the organisation of the cultural sector is, uh, is different to existing industries. And I guess Absolutely. that 
that that plays into the, the the final concern really is that people that want to either make policy about this or help or hinder the creative sector um, need to understand how it actually works if they want to do something about it um so uh, so yeah plenty of uh, plenty to be going on there but it's yeah. grown out of a frustration for me um and trying to then um uh, communicate with the wider world uh, about uh, this interesting area of uh, of our lives well, for, uh, frustration as a forcing function is usually a, a pretty solid one, right? That'll keep you going for a long time. Uh, and it's great to hear, you know, you talk about sort of taking things out of the the lab or, uh, or academic institutions and, and trying to apply them practically. And I think that is something which uh, people maybe often uh, level at the, those institutions that, that kind of work on things broadly in terms of R&D and, and the universities, etc. But as you talked about, it's great to uh, be on the, the practical side myself and be able to to lean into the great work that you and your, your colleagues do and, and try to help us to explicate the value beyond, say, first order effects, which uh, many times I imagine a kind of myopic government official might uh, prefer to consume these things in. But as you say, complexity is very much baked into the problem here. Every episode, we use a prompt or a, a sort of a challenge statement to guide our conversation. And today we've gone with how might we design policies and programs to support the unique organizational forms, risk profiles, and rapid iteration of the creative economy. So from your perspective, when we think about this issue, what, what do you think are the main issues in terms of maybe inputs into the, the framing of the creative industries over the past, say, maybe 20, 30 years that might have guided policy and programs? And, and, and how do you think we might be able to affect more positive change in different areas by you know maybe removing things or or addition of other things uh, as we look forward into the future yeah well i mean i think i think one of the challenges is that uh, um the creative uh, sector generally whatever name we want to apply to it is something that is evolving and changing and uh you know um i think the uh, key thing is is to is to run with that um and unfortunately, um, you know, uh, bureaucrats and policymakers and academics always like uh, things that are stable, that don't change, you know, because obviously they're easier to measure, they're easier to deal with, understand, et cetera. Um, and I think one of the, uh, the things about the creative sector is that it is, uh, is rapidly changing all the time. And um, I guess that's often used as a criticism is say, oh, you know, the definitions are changing. You don't really know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're measuring and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think, it, you know, one of the characteristics of the cultural and creative sector is it's uh, the rapidity of change. And uh, in a world where so much um, emphasis seems to be put on innovation and uh, newness and everything. Um, this should be uh, this should be the uh, really the most interesting thing to look at uh, in a way. Um, so we need to have a perspective in that way. I think that's that's been a, a bit of a barrier um, for people doing work in this area, and partly because one of the big changes in the past uh, twenty five years or so has been that basically our when we think about culture and creativity, 
mainly culture, we're thinking about museums and art galleries and very much this sort of traditional public culture um, type of idea. Um, but the commercial um, element of the culture and creative industries has uh, um, not received so much attention. And, and it's in the past 25 years or so that that really has become a dominant uh, part of this. Um, so you know, the, the whole thing has changed in terms of the, of the balance. Um, moreover, um, and, and this is another of the complicating factors, is that um, it's not simply a shift between a, a, a public sector support or not-for-profit and a for-profit. Um, what's interesting about this whole area is that it's constantly a mixture, a hybrid of uh, these activities. So, you know, even if you just speak to, uh, you know, a, a musician or a, an actor, uh, you know, they might be doing um, some something for a public sector organization, one literally in the same day, as later in the day, they're doing something for a for profit. Um, right. So you can't quite you know, box them off in these different areas as that, oh, we're just dealing with a public sector or private sector. It's a mixture between the two. And obviously this is frustrating for um, uh, for politicians and policymakers. Um, so that's one, uh, one hybrid. But another really important hybrid in this area is between the um, formal and the informal. So stuff that people get paid for and stuff that people do just because they love it. And uh, that also is a, you know, there's a spillover between those. You can't have one without the other. And, uh, you know, this um, really gives you a, a rather um, complex territory to uh, play. <laughs> Because the the sort of levers of policy, or the ways that people, or even the um, the organisational um, arrangements of government, are focused on one or the other. Um, but when things cross over between them, um, it all gets a bit complicated. And and to an extent, if we just think about the definition of the culture and creative industries, that, that is again one of the problems in terms of not just the old. Um, you know, what we'd see as heritage and culture. But now, you know, when you're thinking about the creative uh, economy, are, are you thinking about, uh, you know, software? You're thinking uh, about artificial intelligence? You're thinking about uh, um, 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 broadband network providers, etc. So all that technological stuff. Or is it about the just the creativity that, that, that people are, are, are adding to this? Or is it part of the business model that are involved in developing these audiences? It, this stuff is sort of, um, it's just like spilt over out of the categories that we had before. And uh, that's why I think that, uh, um, you know, we have to... Um, move away from these rather uh, old ways of, uh, of seeing the culture and creative sector and just go with uh, um, what's actually happening on the ground and, uh, and follow the way that people actually do stuff. Um, so that's been one of uh, my concerns is to um, look at actually what's involved in these activities. But yeah, the 
issue is i think uh, that makes it difficult and that has changed is this uh, hybrid nature of the culture and creative sector that it's overlapping a lot of the time and uh, it's crossing over different uh, boundaries um and you know finally that would be also be in terms of spatial boundaries as well in terms of you know does it happen in one part of the city or another or across um different regions or nations and those sorts of things so uh, it's this um this sort of hybrid form um, that makes it difficult to categorize and difficult to put in a box um, and um, therefore trying to explain that to people and uh, to give them a clear idea about what it is is uh, often the challenge but I think the the you know policy making and uh, people that are trying to advocate for the creative sector are um are getting there with this uh, debate uh, now they uh, you know obviously the terminology people talk about this a lot more you hear it uh, um, spoken about um but also that uh, actually it, that people are, are rallying around um uh, an understanding of this idea um and so i think one of the really interesting changes that has happened um is in a sense the uh, widened networks so most industries for example have trade associations uh, like i mentioned with the car industry you know that, that they put pressure on politicians and they advocate for the industry and they support it previously um up to about 10 years ago the creative sector didn't have such an organization um so uh there was there was no one arguing their corner moreover it was worse than that in a sense that uh, you know the filmmakers would say uh, oh we're we're different to fine arts uh, we're different to television and and likewise all everyone says oh, we're all different and whilst that's true uh, in some ca cases um if you're outside the bubble uh, in a way um then in, it's actually just like rats fighting in a sack you know <laughs> it's like uh, everybody's trying to uh, fight against the their, their own idea and actually there was nobody really advocating for the uh, culture and creative sector um and you know the development of the creative industries foundation uh, federation and also other organizations that have tried to at least um sort of be a case arguing for the sector is really important um i think uh, and that's part of getting on a broader political agenda and if you like mattering for the uh, for, for the economy rather than just being a special case which i think the cultural sector was before and uh, i think that's been a massive change so in a sense the um the politicization and political relevance of the culture and creative sector so in the round end do you think to, to that last point do you think the concerns or the problems potentially with say people on the ground thinking that they weren't uh, getting their fair crack at it or being represented fairly it's sort of a asking for people to run before they could walk in a sense because as you talked about say the car industry has been yeah. represented for i don't know how many <laughs> since since the car was invented i'm certain uh and so we're kind of asking to fix a problem which is as you say it's 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 non-static um and from the practitioner's side i guess in many ways they sort of have that inc incongruous thing where they maybe look at policy and say we don't feel like we're represented in this or say we look at gross value add numbers and go that doesn't fairly represent the kind yeah. of uh, things that we do due to the amount of intermediate consumption or spillover effects or supply chain multipliers and i guess do, do you think in terms of 
how we sort of box that complexity you say we're in a better place do you yeah do you think I, I, I think we are in a better place um and uh, and i think there do you think we're in a better place than people even realize and they're just sort of putting it in a context of a, another industry which maybe has had even longer to get to the places that it's in yeah yeah i mean i i think it's it's in a better place and uh and actually you know it's in in some ways it's in a scary place um because uh, i mean if you uh look at uh the current uh, administration has um a sort of industrial strategy um and uh it's got five industries that it's say saying are if you like the future of the british economy and one of those five industries is the creative industries you know, alongside aerospace and motor cars and yeah, uh, pharmaceuticals and everything. So it's like from, in a sense, nothing, suddenly it's the future. Um, and um, yeah, that's a big responsibility, yeah. particularly on um, an area of activity that is, you know, still struggling to get itself organized, not through incompetence, um, but um, because it's a complicated area. I mean, I, let me just clarify what I mean by that is that, you know, sort of organizationally, we all know, you know, broadly the, the conception of, uh, of, a, of a large, you know, like car industry or manufacturing plant, you know, you've got a large factory and uh, materials going one end, um, people then sort of work on them and, you know, stuff comes out the other end. In the culture and creative sector, it's not like that. Um, actually, um, I guess maybe you know, sort of forty years ago, that looking at a, maybe a, a film organisation or a, or a broadcaster, it was a bit more like that, you know. But uh, in the intervening years, the in the uh, creative sector has gone through a dramatic uh, transformation, and now most of employment in the sector is in um, micro enterprises. And when I say micro enterprises, I mean enterprises that have got less than 10 people, um, usually four or five people. Um, moreover, um, those enterprises that people are working in are probably what we call project enterprises. So in other words, that they form the company for a project and then disband it afterwards. Right. Um, and uh, so that's a, it's like a, well, this is a crazy sort of organizational form, you know, um, moreover, that in order to keep on, well, I mean, so there are a lot of people that are, that are, uh, you know, in these micro companies, but also a lot of people that are freelancing as well. So they're not employed by anybody, but they have to go from job to job. And so you've got all these moving parts, um, no big, well, there's a one or two big companies, but uh, most of the activity is in this uh, um, really sort of uh, um, vast, fast changing and people are working, you know, they form a company, um, work on a project and, um, you know, after nine months or so, they may uh, then reform and group up with another group of people and uh, to work on a different project, you know, like filmmaking, uh, as yeah, I guess film, we would music understand. Is and music is, is the same as well. Yeah. You know, in fact, the whole cultural sector is like this. So, so that's a, um, that's another really difficult thing for both policymakers and politicians or just outsiders to get their head around what, you know, how's this thing work, you know, and, 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 uh, um, how do you survive in it? And clearly the, uh, um, 
the uh, absence of uh, um, regular um, sort of firms and uh, this regular structure that we expect of industry um, is um, is somewhat confusing uh, for yeah. most people. But also, it gives rise to the um, you know unique conditions of working in the sector as well, because uh, um, I guess. Uh, risk is a central um, uh, characteristic of this area, um, and uh, you know the risk of uh, establishing a company or developing a new product, um, a new uh, um, uh, um, activity or whatever, not knowing whether the audience is going to buy it in sufficient quantities or whatever is all part of the risk um, that people engage in in this area, and in order to be innovative to create things that shock and excite people um, then you have to take the risk and uh, what's um, perhaps for outsiders quite a strange idea is that you know on average um, in terms of the products and services that people in the creative sector produce on average um, 80 percent of them fail um, and the thing is that people build businesses on the proposition that 80% will fail and 20% will be successful. And the 20% of success will cover the costs of the failures. Um, but the thing is that you never know which 20% are going to be right. the successful ones. Yeah. Um, because that's what excitement and innovation and new music, new ideas are all about. And There's always going to be multiple orders of magnitude, more people who want to work in this space than there is actual well, livelihoods the, to exist within there's, it. There's the, there's the more, more people need to be involved, um, uh, are involved as, uh, as well. Um, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's just the thing is that uh, um, in order to get a, something successful, you have to try lots of different things. And, uh, um, you know, if you look in traditional um, industries, um, then, you know, uh, you know, uh, let's go back to the car industry again. It, it's like, you know, a, a, a product will probably last for five or six years and uh, it will take, you know, three or four years to develop or whatever. But in the cultural sector, we're probably producing, you know, sort of, uh, you know, three or four products products a month um, and uh, the the nature of the turnover uh, of them etc is how do you organize that um, all of this creativity and all this innovation um, and that's what's unusual and, uh, and and fantastic about the creative sector is that people have managed to uh, uh, create this sort of um, um, organizational pattern whereby they're constantly producing new stuff um, and uh, they're producing enough of it that people really like um, to cover the costs of the stuff that doesn't work um, and uh, therefore maintain employment and activities but um yeah that's a, it's a it's complicated how you do that it's sort of like riding a bike in a way you know? it's like yeah. uh, you have to keep moving um and keep doing things and and if you stop um it all falls apart um and it's th that sort of um contrast with the rest of the economy that leads uh, you know people when they look at the creative sector and say this is not an industry this is how does this work you know these people are just sort of crazy uh, in some way but as we all know there's method in the madness um but uh it but it, it's it's a rational 
exercise that people are involved in um but it's uh it has its unique characteristics um and um i, I guess you know we, we we could we could talk about those whether it's about film or whether it's about music or whether it's about computer games they're all they all have their um differences uh, there but uh, they are all, all a step change different from um how we ordinary ordinarily see the organization of um, yeah. economic and industrial activities um that's what's so interesting about them indeed and when we think about who it affects i mean a lot of the i'd love to put sort of two uh, anecdotes from the ground here in, in yep. hackney wick to you to those points and thinking about it as a from a sort of empathy map perspective in terms of what people see and hear because oftentimes we've developed lots of skills programs to give local people the opportunity who maybe are from uh diverse backgrounds that don't usually get evenly represented in the creative economy uh the skills to to access uh, jobs in these sort of novel organizational forms that you mentioned but one of the difficulties um as i see it is very much related to the robustness and the resilience of these small micro businesses as you say because so many of them are uh, low on reserves they live project to project uh, and you know to bring someone into their team uh, they will often very heavily lean on their uh, initial network that's the beauty of things like clusters etc but of course that does somewhat create artificial boundaries around who can access these things uh, because the risks are so high for people to uh, take on new staff uh, and the risks potentially of that person maybe not being uh, suitable or appropriate for the job is sort of too high so they often make sure that the person they bring in is maybe from a friend's company or something like that and then i guess the second anecdote is very much in in the music industry as you've mentioned and talking about these novel organizational forms and certainly the intermediaries as we've seen grow in in music so spotify the streaming platforms etc the the major labels because a, a friend of mine Merkich dave who's going to come on in a couple of weeks he did a show at oslo and hackney recently and um, sold out the show. He's got a really, really quite big fan base for an independent artist. And he was on stage and just sort of said, look, I'm almost losing money on this event. I, I'm kind of breaking even once all the costs are incurred. And he's like, in the 2010s, it was sort of a wild west in music for independence. We could, the, the labels were back on the back foot with streaming and they weren't really sure. He's like, the tables have turned massively now. And it's really like they're in control. They have... Uh, all the chess pieces and it's incredibly hard now to to be a musician independently and survive even if you're actually doing pretty well and we've seen that certainly with uh, brexit policy in terms of free movement of of artists to tour in europe etc so i'd just love to hear your thoughts about yeah, those two yeah. Uh, examples yeah sure yeah the, the first point is uh, is as you suggest really really important and that's uh, in at base is about uh, you know the diversity we have in the or don't have in the uh, in the cultural and creative industries and uh, now part of uh, um, the fact that we have lots of people um, in a very um, sort of diverse community wanting to contribute but actually actually the barriers to entry um, often are as you suggest that uh you've got to be able to survive on uh, on nothing for a period um or at least sort of uh to uh to t take a, a substantial hit uh, some of the time but also that it is often um on the basis of uh, friendship networks etc which basically 
is hiring somebody like me. Um, and that's, that's not how you get a wider, uh, wider group and also not how you represent your audience as well. More generally, the cultural sector is uh, an appalling example of, um, of um, representation of uh, the diversity of the communities that it's, it's based in. Um, and so these inequalities of access um, are really um, uh, pernicious. And as you say, to overcome those with uh, both training um, and also support for people at the beginning of their careers, as well as um, positive examples um, uh, of, uh, of, of people that have managed to stay in the industry are really, really important. Um, and although, uh, I mean, there are lots of uh, um, uh, efforts that uh, um, people and lots of really great examples of people um, uh, challenging um, this system, we still have, you know, um, sort of 20 or 30 years when um, larger organizations were not paying the attention to the um, diversity of their uh, um, workforce, uh, whether that's in terms of gender, age, sexuality, um, ethnicity, uh, etc. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a big problem still out there um, that I think uh, we all face, but is partly to do with the organisation of the industry. And your second point, uh, I think uh, is, is also really um, important here uh, about the intermediaries or in a sense, the uh, I, I, in this case, I, I would sort of talk about the, the, the strange business model um, of the um, of the cultural sector and particularly with the platforms and the platform economy um, and how the way that uh, the um, the streamers, um, in a sense, have been able to uh, become the new gatekeepers um, of uh, to who gets access to the um, distribution systems um, and also under which terms. I mean, back at the beginning of the peer-to-peer -peer, um, revolution of Napster and all these uh, sorts of things, everyone was thinking, well, you know, there's a possibility that uh, um, distribution could be uh, you know, free for everybody and everyone will have access to this system and, you know, we'll be able to get uh, in touch with markets uh, um, just uh, as easily online, as long as people are online, um, that's a problem as well. Um, but what we've seen uh, increasingly is a return to the old story of monopolies and, you know, the monopolies of newspapers and, of course, the music industry, the man, uh, is uh, is rearing its head again, this time not necessarily the record labels, um, but uh, it is through the, uh, um, the, the, the streaming companies. And, uh, you know, so there's issues about access, who gets access to the platform, but normally it's also who, what rent you get get to 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 get entry to the platform um uh, the costs uh, basically of that and particularly uh, the way that those costs as we've seen um just very simply the whole model can we turn upside down if spotify um or another um, streamer um decides that the percentage that you're going to get for the replay of your um track uh, is going to be changed um and of course you know the transition from vinyl to uh, um, to mp3 and digital download uh, has been 
that uh, you know uh, um, where artists um, who always have suffered under the uh, the deals with uh, record companies that they might have got, but you know they they might may get something as 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 much as uh, sort of seven or eight percent or whatever for each play. Um, that is down to one or two percent um, with the streaming services. So you know, just prima facie at the you know direct level, uh, you can see people's uh, um, uh, potential for income through intellectual property um, earnings um, are decreased dramatically. Um, and so this has been a massive issue. And and you know, this has had huge implications, as I'm sure you know you, you, you've discussed before, um, for the you know these really complex business models that uh, uh, that determine how you make money out of uh, out of uh, music and we're seeing that that old record industry model which has been supercharged now by the streamers um in terms of this monopoly profits uh, thing for throughput of uh, product uh songs um is um you know that, that that's uh, that's a that's that's the uh, um, the the dominant model, and it's fine if you are a superstar like uh, Beyonce or uh, anyone you know selling huge numbers of uh, of downloads. Um, but of course, there's a whole um, area of activity out there of people that uh, that don't uh, sell in this way, and of course, you know there are alternative streaming mechanisms for that like patron and the, these sorts of yeah. uh, uh, of networks but also that actually there's an alternative business model which is playing live um and i think you know a lot of people have recognized that they're never going to make money out of streaming but actually they will make money um out of performing live and there's a way of either you selling merch at the venue or you use the streaming um services um to bring your audiences to you uh etc um so that's an alternative business model i'm not saying it's 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 a a parallel you know alternative in the same way but People find ways to duck and dive to survive so that they can produce their music um, under the conditions in which they're choosing rather than it's, uh, you know, a record company or a streaming platform or whatever. That's how people survive. But that's really, really interesting in terms of um, understanding how people survive, because, you know, as we saw in um, COVID, for example, is that, you know, the struggle um, for uh, musicians um, and other um, uh, artists to survive is based on the sorts of uh, organizational forms that they were employed in. If you were self-employment, well, basically you were screwed <laughs> because uh, there was no money um, there for you. So recognizing that, what governments should have done is recognizing that so many people were self-employed, there needs to be a support for self-employed um, artists, um, as there are in, in, in some other countries. Um, uh, but this is a really, it's a sort of wake-up call uh, that uh, I guess because politicians and policymakers hadn't really understood exactly how the music industry and the uh, um, uh, film and uh, streaming industries actually work, where the profits uh, lie, what the business models are, the different ways in which people um, find a niche in this complex e ecosystem. Um, um, I think making those things more visible um, helps people survive, get jobs in them, but also means that we can 
I guess, potentially tailor support services um, that actually um, you know, enable people to continue to do what they want to do um, rather than simply be uh, cookie cutters of a, of a sort of streaming model. Yeah, absolutely. And it really leans into that idea if, in terms of design and policies and programs. I think thinking about the the economic or the technological factors as as inputs into the creative economy, something which, as you say, innovation is very much, um, you know, it's, it's a motive power for the whole thing. And it, it guides us in many ways with creative destruction is the, uh, it's in the title, the clues in the title. Uh, yeah. But when we think about you know, we thought about music there. Historically, you had a quite a strong middle class uh, of of participants in the music industry, whether in you know the the back end of 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 the the, the touring side or in recording studios, which were massive industry, which are almost now uh, you know a kind of marginal activity outside of places like Abbey Road and and places like that because of how technology has allowed you to work in the box. Uh, yeah. And as you say, these uh, these 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 rent-seeking uh, middle people organizations that kind of control a lot of cultural production now. And if we think about film, for example, which I know is is sort of something which there's a there's a huge growth in the amount of content made for TV and film. Again, very much connected to these intermediary streaming platforms, uh, investing a lot of money, uh, a lot of new technology in that space. But I mean, I have experience of it with with friends of mine who work in that space. Who certainly is the automation has has become more prolific in in terms of film. So thinking about things like deep fake, being able to yeah. use that to rather than recalling and reshooting and getting the people together, you could say we'll just use deep fake and and we can do it in in the box again. It's efficient, but it does mean that there's a huge reduction in labor input there. And then also there's a lot of outsourcing to other parts of the world where labor is much cheaper in places like India, et cetera, which I'm seeing a lot. And I think there's a there's sort of a danger here of all of these activities, I just say, kind of creating these oligopolies or, or deep power laws in terms of you know, big, big, big institutions that can use these efficiencies and leverage this technology and invest and, and create and capture more of the market. And it kind of creates that, longer and longer tail of people who are as you say struggling unable to keep it going and if we're not really clear about that strategic narrative and we're sort of always saying well innovation's good or these big companies investing is good but sort of not protecting both sides of that coin i think there's a there's a risk down the line that we probably lose some of our competitive advantages as a, as a place because everything just becomes you know pick up put down wherever you need to put it uh, Absolutely, I think that that's part of the problem. Is that is that uh, uh, people go with a narrative of uh, of uh, creativity, but actually creativity has to be supported. And uh, whether it's uh, through training and education, whether it's through uh, um, support yeah, for people between jobs, or the you know the um, uh, the matchmaking in a sense that uh, linking um, different uh, technologies and uh, knowledges and activities together. I mean, one of the things that I've been interested in is this uh, area called knowledge transfer, um, which sounds a bit uh, esoteric, but it basically is it's, it's just about how people connect together um, and how they find uh, connections, um, particularly in the cultural sector, um, I'd argue. I mean, that's vital. It's, it's, uh, um, it's finding the right person to work with on the next project um, is a key element uh, that everyone's uh, in, engaged in. And where in, a, in, a, in a field where um, uh, being good enough 
is just not that, that's a failure basically uh, you've right. got to be you know exceptional in some way so not just working with anybody but working with somebody that you really respect and uh, is really pushing um, uh, whatever you're trying to do um, all of this sort of interconnectivity and then finding somebody who's also going to be able to help you take that to market or take it to an audience in, in a way um, putting all these components together is a really highly um, skilled and complex activity um, that needs a lot of support for those things to happen um, and to keep the uh, the wheels running uh, in a way um, yeah. and yeah so that's at a very local level um, that's really really important but also it's so important to uh, actually look across international links as well because many of these organizations that are that are in a sense, uh, um, constraining um, or just uh, extracting value from many local areas are larger than nation states. And, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, we really need larger actors in order to stand up to them, you know, and uh, so creative you know, economy, uh, democracy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the origin of all value really is people and uh, people and their ideas, and uh, uh, and this is another big struggle which you know we're seeing again with every new technology so ai being a case in point is that you know where did the images where did the uh, the words where did the ideas come from they come from people and they've been scraped from the net um and uh, people have not been remunerated uh, for them basically um and these are large language learning models they learn from what's there out there already and uh, that creative labor has not been uh, credited um but also where the new creativity comes from um is uh, is a, 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 an area for investment and you know it comes down often um to rather um that seem rather um uh, annoying in a way issues about legal questions about intellectual property ownership and copyright and these have always been the issue i mean you know we all know uh, you know every band as uh, you know well-known band has split up because of so-called artistic differences no it's about actually de de dividing who got the, uh, the the copyright who got the money uh, basically um so issues about the ownership what it is that you can own about the arts etc um and, and cultural product and whether that is actually given to the creator or the creatives are able to um, gain a living uh, from that is a key thing. And I think what we're seeing is um, uh, with every new technology, but particularly um, from AI, we're seeing yet another um, uh, cycle whereby the larger industries try to scoop up all the existing copyright and uh, basically uh, um, uh, individual artists uh, unable to uh, um, gain a living from from their own activities, um, yeah. and I think that's a, such a challenge. It's a boring area, um, uh, intellectual it's property vital. rights, but it's vital. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's 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 that we it, that uh, so often this is um, the domain of um, 
uh, of large companies because, I mean, corporate lawyers can say, well, we'll see you in court. And I mean, all the debates that we have had in music over, um, over sampling, for example, you know, um, is that actually, you know, in legal um, terms, um, there is uh, the right to quote uh, from a piece of music. And to an extent, in many respects, um, most, um, most, um, sampling is actually covered by that um, but if a um, a corporate organization large uh, music company um, wants to call you out on a sample um, they basically say see you in court and uh, they can sit there in court for many days and cost many millions of dollars to have you there and of course you as an individual can't contest that even though legally you're right that's uh, that's the demonstration of the inequality uh, in this world um, that uh, you know you can't afford to contest the case often uh, is, is is the issue. But generally, you know, sort of uh, um, uh, copyright law is uh, was devised uh, uh, two or three hundred years ago, and it's really uh, um, been playing catch up ever since, and it's still a long way behind. And unfortunately, the people that suffer are the artists um, because they're not protected and they're not given uh, the opportunity to, to defend um, their creative talents and in a sense get a rent from lending it um, to people's ears and, uh, and, and eyes um, for a period and also making an income from it. Um, uh, it's a real, it's a, if you're going to have artists, you need to have a way for artists to be able to make a living. Um, and that's what it comes down to, I think, in the end. A real wicked problem, eh? I mean, yeah. thinking just about the sort of policy tool component of that in terms of how we support these this rapid iteration in the creative economy and i guess you could probably say in the economy writ large but the creative economy has a idiosyncratic version of that iteration and i'm yeah, i'm but certainly also not, a leading role i think That's right yeah and, I, and i'm no luddite as well and i, I certainly don't intend uh, or, or or wish for say governments to, to stop innovation things like ai etc uh, before we really know what we're we're dealing with but i just think to be kind of intellectually honest and sort of put a counterfactual to you uh, and we've referenced the sort of car industry a couple of times and it, it makes me think about this idea of like subsidies which are a massive thing that are given out to say car companies in support of say ev infrastructure or things things which serve the public good or uh you know negative externalities in the forms of uh pollution and if we think about like creative construction the idea of you know how say Let's uh, let's well say I won't name companies. I always feel bad naming companies. It's like naming brands or something like other brands are available. Uh, like I'm working for the BBC, but um, any you know massive uh, rent seeking intermediary in the creative economy, right? That's appeared over say the past ten years. Uh, they have you know incredible pools of human capital, uh, financial capital, infrastructure, etc. And I'm sure inside of those organisations, much as you saw in say Kodak in in the in the 20th, yeah. 20th century you know a lot of under commercialized knowledge which is say we'd love to do something with this but it's not part of our core mission right now we're focusing on something else and so there's opportunities for people inside those organizations to try to maybe take some of that knowledge create new companies and oftentimes they can probably be the people that will create something with higher revenue potential for example which can hire more people and uh, you know, all the the chain moves, council taxes, et cetera, business rates, blah, blah, blah. So thinking about that, like, of course, the policy has really been focused on 
uh, in opposition to say like the car industry where we would focus on the big players because there's only big players really isn't there yeah. in the car industry in in the creative economy we're, we're really trying to redress the balance by as you say focusing on that long tail the micros the small companies the freelancers but the, could there be an argument for getting closer to those really big oligopolies etc and saying let's try to make the most of what they have because they have the, the the competitive advantage and, and and a land grab so to speak so why can't we make the most of that as a sort of levy approach uh, as opposed to say what we do now which might be trying to maybe get the smaller folks up to a a slightly higher level above where they yeah. are now to address yeah. that balance what do you think I of think, that yeah i think it needs needs both uh, really i mean i think that's that's uh, the that it, it needs to think you, we need to be thinking um uh, on both sides, because I mean, clearly there's a sort of uh, structural and institutional part of the, of these larger corporations. They're not going to disappear, um, but also that they perform a function uh, mm. in terms of uh, providing some of that sort of uh, bigger infrastructure. Um, but um, I, I guess you know the point is that they uh, they also rely upon um the input of new ideas um from outside those organizations um just like in the old-fashioned um yeah sort of music uh, company the a and r uh, were were there to uh, find the new artists um mm. and uh, um potentially develop the artists um but you know in many cases the artists were you know did all the innovate all, all the product development for free and then came along and sold their souls to the corporation, as it were. Um, but yeah, you know, it's an they algorithm rely, now. D Discover they, Weekly is the AR. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, that, but they rely. What my point is, they rely on on one another. And uh, the the larger corporations um, should invest back in those uh, in those things, whether it's in terms of uh, you know artist development. Um, in terms of uh, um, sort of uh, new activities and in institutions and everything, and it's it's in their interest uh, generally. Um, but uh, I think this is uh, a problem. Uh, it's certainly a problem for policymakers. I think in terms of uh, of uh, how you uh, um, try to uh, uh, support these activities. On one hand, you're dealing with these massive corporations which are bigger than the nation state, and then on the other hand, you're dealing with these micros, and you know they're from a from a public policy point of view that that's a nightmare to deal with because you've got all these small people uh who are constantly changing their corporation or not or their their, their organization etc and it's very difficult to interact with them at the, uh, in, in that way um so you need some some sort of buffer between them and uh, i think uh, the development of uh, of uh, institutions and organizations that can do the mediation between the two um might be a good thing for uh, public sector and also private sector to invest in to make sure that that interchange um, um, happens uh, in some way, um, because uh, um, otherwise uh, um, the the large corporations are going to lose lose out eventually when they run out of ideas, um, and the uh, small creatives, um, if that gets disrupted, then people are not going to be uh, producing um, those new ideas. So, yeah, it's the firing uh, servers can't help you then, right? And I guess that's maybe yeah. why the complexity means that no one in government wants the portfolio they might they might be more interested in cars it's a little more simple to deal with right uh, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful a more... portfolio but a messy one 
Yeah, yeah, I think that, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, if we're talking about sort of uh, governments, uh, uh, the uh, it's always been said, I think, that the uh, the, the curse of the Department of uh, Culture, uh, Culture, Media and Sport is of the enthusiast. You, know, <laughs> you don't ah. want an enthusiast. <laughs> you want somebody who's actually going to really, I mean, actually, one of the problems in, uh, uh, in, uh, um, uh, in culture in the past, getting better now, has been actually the training of, of people that are skilled in policy making, you know, and cultural policy making, um, and uh, having a lack of uh, of those people, um, uh, because actually, what you want to attract in is the high flyers in the civil service into the culture department, not to the treasury, you know, so they can fight your corner and uh, and uh, you know fight for the resources and fight for the new and innovative programs, etc. Um, that's again uh, uh, been a challenge for the the cultural sector um but yeah i yeah. things are changing a little bit i think i think uh, it's a lot more hopeful people are recognizing the importance of the cultural sector not just in, in in great ideas but in terms of jobs and in terms of the employment and this is a picture that is being reflected internationally as well um uh, perhaps surprisingly for many people um and uh, you know at the at the level of the uh, of you know the the globe uh, the creative economy is uh, is definitely uh, um something that many countries are now hitching their wagon to And it's been a real pleasure. Um, before I let you go, can I hit you with my my lightning round questions? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So number one, uh, what are two of the most important books in your life? Ooh, difficult to uh, point to books. I can point to authors, I think. Authors, most Great. ones are uh, Haruki Murakami. Um, really enjoy uh, his uh, his work in the Japanese uh, stories uh, involving tunnels and cats, <laughs> as well as lots <laughs> of uh, music and jazz, uh, etc. Uh, really interesting. And an author I've just come across, uh, Annie Erno, who actually uh, was a French author who won the Nobel Prize, I think, uh, last year. Um, fantastic author about uh, memories and history and retelling um, uh, the history of um, women in France. Um, really enjoyed uh, both of those for different reasons. Beautiful. Uh, second question, who was the last musician or what was the last album that truly blew you away? Mm, yeah, not been not been uh, greatly involved in uh, in listening to new music, but uh, the Phoebe Bridges um, oh. I've really enjoyed um, um, more recently. So He's great, great lyricist and music. Yeah, yeah sure, absolutely. Um, what profession other than your own would you have liked to attempt? <laughs> well, when I when I uh, when I started off as an academic, I was also I did a lot of work uh, in uh, with um, uh, sound recording and working in radio, and uh, so probably a, a music producer is what I would really have liked to have done. Amazing, I can see that. Maybe the, <laughs> this time, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, what piece of advice has had the most lasting impact on you? Oh, uh, yeah, let's uh, think about that. Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, um, always a good piece of advice. And, and uh, it's always worth reminding myself of and what other people have, uh, have said is, um, you know, um, uh, don't um, sort of overthink it. 
<laughs> basically mm-hmm. is go with the flow and uh, trust your uh, trust your gut in in a sense of doing things it's uh, it's very easy to uh, um spend our time uh, over reflecting on things and particularly for an academic so uh, so don't overthink it just do it um is a, a good piece of advice i think uh and i guess that that's a good piece of advice you would give out to the next generation forming their path i assume right yeah absolutely yeah and and i think particularly um i i see um both my own kids and uh, and others as well is that uh, i think uh um, going with your heart as well i mean it's it's uh you know, you cannot regret uh, the choices you've made otherwise, you know, sort of uh, that uh, we often see what seems to be the economically most viable or thing we ought to do. But uh, going with your heart uh, in uh, is uh, what's going to be most satisfying in the long term, I think. Um, but uh, sounds rather idealistic. But uh, um, yeah, <laughs> real profundity in that. I, I, I resonate with that deeply. So I'm glad that you shared it. Uh, and lastly, uh, aside from resources such as money and staff, what is the single big, biggest thing your industry needs more of? Yeah, well, I think they just uh, uh, the uh, if 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 my industry is is the cultural sector rather than academia, um, the the cultural sector needs more support um, and recognition and uh, more trust. Uh, given it. Um, and I think all the things that we talked about today about the sort of supporting the ecosystem, etc, you know, all um, are the important parts of uh, the industry that don't get the recognition um, that will in the end be its or or, or are in the end its lifeblood. Um, so uh, it's all those intermediary um, activities, all the uh, activities that are ha- go on behind the scenes. Um, that's what people need support of and i guess a universal basic income i guess is uh, what i will be calling for well that, i think another another podcast to talk through that one in depth probably right but uh yeah <laughs> incredibly important well andy it's been a real pleasure as i said um if anyone wants to to follow yourself and your work where are the best places to to find you online and, and what you're um i feel, guess if you just sort of uh, google my name andy c pratt that you'll find stuff uh, i've got websites at city university um where i teach um that uh, are associated with that uh, my academic work is most of it is available online um so uh, you can find um free um that's what i mean um and also that some of the reports that i've been involved in with the un organizations will come up if you put my name in there so um yeah you should be able to track me down somewhere perfect well we'll put links in the show notes and it's been a been a real pleasure having you on the podcast thank you much for taking the time thanks very much indeed it's good <laughs>